0: 1 Timothy chapter six, uh, verse one says, "These things teach and exhort." That's the very end of verse two. You do know that the verses were added for our benefit, so it doesn't necessarily was it written that way. Let me go back up. These things teach and exhort. If any man teach otherwise, consent not to those wholesome words even the words of our Lord Jesus Christ, and to the doctrine which is according to, everybody say it, godliness. He is proud, knowing nothing but what? Doting about questions and strifes of words, whereof cometh envy, strife, railings, evil surmisings, perverse disputings of men of corrupt minds and destitute of the truth, supposing that gain is godliness. Circle that right there. Gain is godliness. From such withdraw thyself. In contrast, verse 6, but godliness with contentment is great gain. Now, I did have someone try to tell me that godliness with contentment was not talking about stuff. He obviously didn't read verse 7 For we brought nothing into this world, and it is certain we can carry nothing out, and having food and raiment, let us therewith content. Just make sure you're with me. I, I want to talk a little bit tonight about the doctrine of contentment me. So, the doctrine of, oh that was weak, say it again, the doctrine of contempt. Okay. Jesus tonight, thank you for your wonderful people who are faithful to your house, even now and knowing our ears to hear, to our hearts, God give us revelation and understanding in all things, and we pray this in Jesus' name, and everybody say amen. Um, for just a minute, why don't you lay your Bibles down? and relax your mind, and, and try not to come across like I am uh, in a legal case study, and, and let's just talk a minute. Imagine, if you will, a piece of wood. Now, you've already conjured up, whether well, it's a piece of a log or a, a that's not my car, If you're online, you're missing this. We've got multiple alarms going off in cars in the parking lot. Now there's three. That is awesome. Now we have a plane landing in the church parking lot. That thank I would continue, but I don't think you could hear me. So, the piece of wood may be a two by four, it may be part of a log. You can imagine what the piece of wood looks like. The wood itself is neither good nor evil, it can be used to scotch a wheel or a tire to keep a car or a trailer from rolling downhill. It can be made into a pencil to write with. It can be used to be burned to produce heat. It can be fashioned into a cross for a crucifixion or even carved into an idol to be worshipped. Same piece of wood. It's neither good nor evil. It's how it's used. Did you catch what I just said? It's not the wood. It's how it's used. Imagine a stone can be part of a foundation. It can be much needed weight in a truck bed to give traction on icy conditions. Anybody ever done that? Throw a bunch of old cinder blocks in the back of your truck to give it some weight. It uh, can be a surface that you can use to sharpen a knife or even strike a match. However, it can be used as a weapon to stone someone or it can be shapened into an image that can be a point of worship. Is the stone evil? Is the stone righteous? Okay. It's neither good nor evil. It's how it's used. Uh, I do remember a day when a friend of mine came into the business that I was managing and said, hey, my brother is in the hospital I need you to pray for him. And I said, man, Chuck, I'm so sorry. What happened? He said, we were on a house doing a remodel, and it was an elderly couple, and they had a very expensive wrought iron decorative metal fence around their house. And he said, Jeff was on the ladder, and the ladder slid, and he fell. And what was a beautiful wrought iron security fence impaled him because he failed on it. Can I can I make a point there? That which was created for safety because of Jeff's position in relation to its fixed position caused him great harm. What's your point, Pastor? My point is simply this. Uh, all these things that we have, our resources, our gifts, our talents are given to us from God to be used they're not necessarily good or evil it's how they are used dictates what they become I have heard pastors get up and preach about education being bad well that's foolish Okay, I have heard preachers get up and preach that without education That's bad. Education is neither good nor bad. It's how it's used. It's a tool. It's a gift. It is a resource. Am I by myself? Okay. Who's got life experiences? Sometimes, depending on the circumstance, I'll take somebody with good practical experience over somebody with a lot of education because theory is not the same as practicality. There was a lot of things I learned in the classroom that did not directly correlate to what happens out in the real world. Experiences that you've gone through, you wouldn't sign up to go through certain things, but you gain great insight, wisdom, and experience, and it becomes a tool or a resource. Who in here's got good family? to lean on. That's a resource. That's a gift from God to be used and to be utilized. I'll be really plain. Makes some people uncomfortable. Your country of origin can be a tremendous gift from God. You don't believe that. You ask somebody from the Sudan, You ask somebody from Ethiopia and other countries, they will tell you to be born in America, as Ben Carson said, is to win the lottery in life. We have so much advantages given to us here. Sister Carmen and Sister Tomasa told me that when they were in El Salvador, they heard stories that money just blew down the street. There was so much prosperity here. And they got here and they were a little disappointed. But I believe it was Sister Tomasa told me, she says, but pastor, it wasn't real money, but there was opportunity on every, if you wanted to work, there was great opportunity and you are a blessed, you are a blessed people. Only in America could the poorest among us be fighting obesity. Let that sink in. We are a blessed people. But it is not blessed because we are worthy, it's because God looked down the channel of time and knew the intersections of lives that we would come in contact with and he put us here as a resource to be leveraged and spent and utilized to make a difference. Some of you have a lot of time, some of you have a little time. Who's who's got just a little time? Who's got a lot of time? We all have the same time. But we set ourselves up in ways, and we go through seasons in lives, and there are seasons in lives, where we have more free time than others. Uh, I tend to tip my cap uh, to Brian and Sarah because they got two small girls, uh, high-demand part of t- life. And I was like, man, you know, I'm, I'm not going to ask them to do nothing, or I'm not going to impose, because they, they're in the press. Others of us are kind of out of having small kids, and, and maybe we've we've uh, uh, got our house paid down, or we're semi-retired, or we have other revenue streams, and it frees up time and opportunity, and, and we're in seasons. We all have the same amount of time, but we're in different seasons. I've heard leaders speak against education and don't lean on family and, you know, don't have pride in country and, you know, time and money and all these things. They're neither good nor evil. They are tools. They are gifts. They are resources that are given to us from God that we can use them to make, everybody say, make a difference. Did you know God is faithful and consistent? The Bible says that God gives every person a measure of faith. I don't have any faith. Yes, you do. God gave you a starter kit of faith that was initially enough that your faith can grow and grow and your confidence in him can mature. And if you don't have any faith, it could be because you have squandered it or you have not fed your faith or you have not watered your faith or you not have spoke to your faith and so on. But God gives every person a measure of faith. God reigns on the just and the unjust. Well, I don't have anything to work with. God is no respecter of persons. He gives everybody gifts and talents and resources. Yours may be different from mine. Mine may be different from yours, but God has given every one of us something to work with. Well, you're just better than me. No, I'm not. The Bible says, For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. We're all in the same boat we a bunch of losers. I went to church and pastor encouraged me. We're all losers. I, I don't tell you that to put you down. I, I tell you that to put us all on the same level playing field. Pastor, why, why did you bring up the wood, and why did you bring up the stone? I brought it up very specifically because the Lord spoke to me that all of us have these resources where it's a wheelbarrow of rocks or a wheelbarrow of wood, and we have time and we have creativity and we have gifts and talents. Are we shaping these resources into things that advance God's calling in our lives? Are we shaping them into gods that we worship the way we want to? Do we utilize our gifts to bring glory back to God? Or do we use God to bring glory to our gifts? Wow. Got quiet in here. The Bible says, it's appointed unto man once to die, subsequently, then the judgment. All of us are going out of here either at the trump of God or by a casket. None of us are getting out of this world alive, and so pushing pushing this off to another day or kicking the can down the road or saying this kind of lesson or message doesn't relate to me, I am telling you it's going to relate to all of us sooner than later. Every knee shall bow and every tongue shall Confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. The difference is if you do it now, you share with him and reign with him in his kingdom. If you do it later, you do it from a pit where there is a separation that you can never get to God. You're either going to serve him now or serve him later. We were all created by the same God. Say amen. We were all created for the same purpose. Everybody say amen. Ain't none of us getting out of here alive. Say amen. And the fact is, the same God who created us is going to come on the same day, and he's going to come, and he is going to judge us. The only difference will be what we hear him say. Will we hear, well done, thou good and faithful servant, or will we hear, Depart from me, ye doers of iniquity, I never knew you. I looked that word knew up. If Sister Stacy, who is my fellow theologian, is reading, listening to this, that word knew you means that from a biblical sense, known by your actions. Somebody says, Well, he never knew us. God knows everybody. Absolutely. God is omniscient. He's all-knowing. But what this word is saying, I never knew you. I never knew you were my disciple by your actions. Many will say, Lord, Lord, but I will say, depart from me, ye doers of iniquity, not doers of righteousness. We will be known by our actions. We all draw close to God with our lips, but do our actions indicate that we truly love the Lord? Pastor, you're being mean tonight. I know we don't have uh, day timers per se anymore. Anybody remember the little organizers, the Franklin system where you'd have your little three-ring notebook and all your little, you plan your life. I'll eat lunch here. I never had to put a reminder to eat lunch. Can I? Now, eat healthy I might have to put in big red letters, but I never had to say eat lunch. It always came natural to me. But there's some people who like to plan out every little nuance. It gives them security to have it all planned out in such detailed fashion. We, we don't really have daytimers or PDAs anymore. Some of us use our phones, our smartphones, that have a scheduling app in them. And I get that. I think that's good. I have no problem with that. But we want to develop a plan for our lives But too often, I can tell by looking at somebody's daytime or their calendar, their list in their phone, or review their schedule for the week, and tell you whether they're a Christ follower or not. Because when you're a Christ follower, just like I don't have to put a reminder to eat lunch, I don't have to have a reminder to love my wife. I don't have to have a reminder to put my paycheck in our joint checking account. Mm Mm-hmm. I don't have to have a reminder to go home and tell her how awesome she is. It's not a list. It's not a have to. It's out of the abundance of my heart I can't wait to see. And when we are a disciple of Jesus Christ, it's not because it's on a list. Because if it is, it won't last. It's because that's what comes natural. That's what our passions are for. The day timer, the scheduler. Is to put the things in there that you're liable to forget because they're not joy filled, but they're necessary. If you have to remind yourself Wednesday night church, it might be because it's not joy filled. It's because it's drudgery. Talk yourself into it. Warm up to the idea. Now, I'm, I'm going to hasten. Jesus says, "I never knew you. I never knew you by your." actions. You didn't exemplify your adoration, commitment, and love toward me by your actions. Now, I'm going to say this, especially in our Western civilization, our Western culture, and we have quite a few uh, people from the Eastern culture that attend our church. They're part of our family. We love them. They quicker understand a lot of, of Asian and Middle Eastern descent people still have a lot of idolatry in their daily culture. Uh, I I have some friends, they, they come from a Buddhist nation, they own a business here in Smyrna, and they are Bible-believing Christians in the generic term. They've been baptized. They read their, they read their Bible every day. Uh, they believe in the necessity of baptism. They're, they're good people, faithful church attenders, tithe payers, obedient to their pastor. But they, they've got a Buddha in their place of business. Because in their culture, a lot of their customers are, are from Buddhist nations, they wouldn't do business with them if they didn't have a Buddha near the front door. So even though they are Christians, they have an image of Buddha. I want you to know there's a lot of nations that it's very unfamiliar to us to have any kind of an idol. Other countries, they kind of coexist because it's so ingrained into the culture. In our Western civilization, it would be very foreign to us to bow to an idol or to shape a rock or wood into an image to be worshipped. But the, the thinker of the bygone era, <clears throat> Voltaire, said it this way. He said, God created us in his image, and every since we have been returning the favor to say, First, God created us in his image, and ever since then, man has been creating God in their image. That is to say, we want God to look the way we want him to. It's going to get prickly, okay? If I give you a disclaimer, it's going to get prickly. You promise not to throw anything at me? I didn't hear one promise. I'm very nervous. There's stones in your hands. We draw the limit at slingshots. No slingshots. If you start throwing things, we'll go to online only. Okay, just kidding. If my good friend Dusty Frierson's watching, I pray for him. Love my friend Dusty Frierson. He's been sick. He's. I'm gonna tune in tonight. We're going I put it right in the middle just to see. See if my phone vibrates here in a minute. It means he commented somehow. Okay. The uh, the relevant point for us is somehow we don't say it. But a pervasive amount of us perceive Jesus to be white, 30-something, English-speaking, doctrinally fundamental, financially conservative, family-centered. He was an event planner and a life strategist. We don't say that, but don't we teach those kind of Bible studies that that God wants you to have the perfect, well-rounded family? Doesn't God wants you to have your life planned out and have goals and dreams and desires. Isn't God a life strategist to help you negotiate the difficult decisions that you may face? And that's kind of a summary of who they think God is and what his emphasis is. Let me dispel some myths. Number one, it's pretty obvious he wasn't white. And this is how my little brain works. We've got white, tan, Light chocolate, dark chocolate. This is how good God is. If you look at the tone of his skin color, in the spectrum, he'd be right in the middle. I think that's the God we serve. He likes to be right in the middle. He he don't want to be over here. And he don't want to be over here. He don't want to be identified with one nation or one person. or one. He wants to be for all men. If you don't believe it, look at the book of Acts. By one blood, every nation has access to the things of God. Ain't the color of his skin. It was the pureness of his blood that covered our sin. That's I also can prove he wasn't speaking English because the English language wasn't spoken to the mid-600 A.D. I get one amen on that. On his doctrine, we see him because oh, if you start quoting Jesus, you go in all serious, uh, conservative, fundamentalist on me. But in his day, Jesus was radical. He was radical in his teaching. How do I know that? Jesus on numerous occasions, address the religious trendsetters of the day and say, you say a man's committed adultery when he sleeps with his neighbor's wife. I tell you, if he looks on her to lust, if he does it in his heart, it's a, that was radical in his day. Who admits today we think family-centered is the will of God, it is the mission of God? That you would dare take... Uh, your children, young children, on the mission field, people would tell you that's not wise. They would tell you you got to give your life up, mom and dad, to create a safe nesting environment for your your children. And we see uh, this family nucleus, and at all cost, have a minivan and go to soccer practice and be a middle-income suburban. Uh, family is the image of God for your family, and that really does not comport with Scripture. Luke 14 tells us, unless you hate your mother and your father, you're not worthy to be called my disciple. Now, before I get in trouble with some teenagers and their parents, that's not saying, I hate you, Mama. I mean, there's something about turning 12, automatically your eyes start rolling when your parents start talking. I have found a remedy for that. If you're a parent and you need to know the remedy to the eye roll, you call me. We'll talk. I I can fix it. They may not be able to sit down for a while, but I can fix the eye roll, guaranteed. What are you saying, Pastor? I am saying for us, Jesus is not saying to literally hate your parents, but it means to subordinate, to make secondary the family family love and commitment relationship and make it second to your Christ faithfulness committed relationship. It amazes me that families in the name of good family Christian values will skip church to go to other civic activities and responsibilities and when their kids grow up and they don't have a commitment to the things of God, they wonder why. If you don't put a priority on the things of God, why would the kids put the priority on the things of God? Not me talking. Jesus says that, You have been given gifts and resources and you've been granted a great place to be born and you have an education and you have money and you have smarts. And are you using those resources and are you reforming who God is based on what you want? Are you basing it on what he wants? Man, it is quiet in here. Could it be that God granted you the brain and the financial? resources and open the doors of education not that you could add zeros to your profit and loss statement but that you could add value to the kingdom could it be that God gave you those kids not so you could pamper them to edify your parental ego but that they could be the next evangelist or soul winner or choir director or bible study teacher that they're going to bring evangelism to a third world country they're going to be the the prayer warrior that brings revival to turn a city upside down. My mother may be watching tonight, and I have to be careful. I have felt pressure. Uh, Recently, in the last few years, I felt quite a bit of pressure that I haven't been always the son that they want because of, I don't, have an ordinance amount of time to take off and go and sightsee shop and do the things it's not that I don't enjoy those things but can I also tell you no parent is proud of a son who pastors a church that fails so I have to decide Do you want me to take you shopping or do you want me to make sure the church goes up and goes on? Because God has called me and he has called you and he has resourced me and he has resourced you. And I can't reshape who God is to meet my wants and desires. I have to shape my life to meet his wants and his desires. What does he want me to do? Matthew 6 and 19 says, lay not up for yourselves treasures on earth but in heaven. He says give it everything you've got. Julie may be watching so I really I got to be really careful now. <clears throat> Julie Julie since day 1 has been willing to work a secular job. If I was not pastor in this church, she would not have to work. If Julie doesn't make it to every funeral, if Julie doesn't make it to every birthday party, don't think she don't love you. She clocks in every morning because she loves you. She works whether she feels like working or not. It's only because of her faithfulness and commitment to that secular job that we know beyond a shadow of a doubt. There is no way she should have got that job. It is a civil service position that takes knowing somebody and levels of bureaucracy and test and waiting list. And you gotta be a veteran and you get so many points if you're if you're a veteran. And many people don't get a job because they don't get enough points to get in the, in, into that uh, civil service position without it. She walked in one day. They said, we'll hire you, and she started two days later. She's never had a civil service exam. She's never had all the hoops. God just opened the door, put her in the system, because simultaneously we were praying about starting a church in Smyrna. God knew what we would need. He saw her heart. She is working that job. Does she hate some of the things she has to deal with? Absolutely. Does she hate some of the people she has to deal with? Absolutely. Does she despise me some days for having work? Absolutely. But she is doing it because it allows me to do this job. And some people tell us, well, that's that's really not good. She she needs to to be home. And and maybe maybe at some point she will be. Maybe she'll be here uh, working as a volunteer or helping in ministry. Maybe. But let me tell you something. God has been good to us. The psalmist said it this way, I was young, I'm now old, but I've never seen the righteous forsaken or his seed begging bread. I'm investing, she's investing, we're investing in eternal things. I know I'm not everybody's favorite flavor. I know some people don't like some of my thoughts about things. But just because they don't like it don't mean I'm not right. How big a house do I need? How many vacations can I take? How many dress shirts? I can't put no more in my closet, people. I don't need no more dress shirts. I've been criticized about driving old cars. It don't bother me. God is faithful. You may hear one day that I wished I had saved more money. You may hear me say one day I wished I hadn't worked so hard. You may hear me say one day I should have spent more time uh, buying newer cars and touring the mountainside. But you might stand before the Lord one day and say I wished I had given more. You might stand before the Lord one day and say, I should have used that gift and talent to make a difference for souls. Because, guys, ain't none of us taking what we get here with us. The only currency exchange from this life to the life to come is souls. Now, Pastor, what does that have to do with contentment? Let's talk for just a second about discontentment. My discontentment has led me into trouble numerous times. That internal push to get bigger. Pride got in the way and said, I got an image to put out here, and I want to show people how good and how smart I am. And I have been guilty in my personal life of puffing up, priding out, and being discontent with what I had thinking if a little bit is good a whole lot more is better did you hear what they ask Nelson Rockefeller about his wealth how much money do you need how much more do you want he said just a little bit more the world's wealthiest man at the time needed just a little bit more can I tell you riches of this world will never satisfy My discontent was where I set an agenda bigger in an area that God was not moving in. That's why the Bible says, Godliness with contentment. See, godliness with discontentment is unfruitful. How do I know that? Scripture. Who's ever heard of a lady named Eve? She was in paradise. Guys, you can't get no better than paradise. She didn't have to worry about getting a new dress. Show me where she had to cook. She had a sinless husband. She only had to ask him to take the trash out once and never had to. She had it all. Hmm. No kids? Sorry. It was when her enemy, the devil, Got her eyes redirected, and it caused dissatisfaction. Dis, being dissatisfied, and becoming discontent. And when she acted out of being discontent with what thousands of trees to eat of with no restriction, but got her eyes fixed on the one thing. You ever got your eyes fixed on the one thing? You know, you like that. You've always liked that person. And they do one thing to disappoint you. Now, everything they do in your eyes is tainted. Doesn't take but one, one dissatisfying thing, one disappointment, and now you're, they can't do anything right. Am I being, is that being real? You see, one person's flaw, there's one flaw. They're 99% a great person They got one flaw. I don't mean a heaven or hell issue. I mean just a flaw. And once you pick that out, you can't ever see them the same again. They're now damaged goods. Our enemy, the devil, likes to get us discontented, oftentimes through disappointment. Then he gets us discouraged. The children of Israel says, give us a king. Why do they want a king? Because we want to be like other nations. You know what that tells me? That tells me all they were doing was looking around what everybody else was doing. Don't look around to what everybody else is doing. Look unto Jesus, the author and finisher of your faith. Quit trying to keep up with the Joneses. Quit following people on Facebook that make you feel inferior. Their life's not near as good as they want you to think it is. If their life was really good, they wouldn't have time to post stupid stuff on Facebook. I just said it out loud. This is it. Let us be like other nations. Do you know what? God spoke and says, well, okay, you'll be like other nations. And uh, you're going to get taxed, and your vineyards are going to get taken, and your sons are going to be made into warriors, and they're going to die on the battlefield, and your daughters are going to be taken as servants to the palace, and the king's going to get the best food and the best crops and the best everything. Do you know what he's telling us? It is not near as glamorous as you think it is, but if that's what you want, oh, yeah, that's what we want, until they didn't. How many times do we want things not really realizing what it's going to cost us? I I watch people. I'm a people watcher. Uh, I've been really good over the years to go shopping with Julie. It's not that I love shopping. It's that she buys less when I go with her. I'm protecting my own interests when I go shopping with her. I think I just felt the beep on my phone. She's probably texting me right now. Just kidding. And back when there were malls that people shopped in, I loved to sit on the benches and just watch people. In my mind, I had all these little bubble comments above their heads as they walked. Am I the only one who does that? I'm a people. I like to watch people and have my own commentary in my mind. And I will tell you, I watch people. And I know pretty quickly when a person gets disappointed Then discouraged, then they get discontented. Nothing satisfies them. Nothing. Like changing churches every few years is going to fix anything. Shopping churches and shopping pastors, if you're not careful, you're looking for somebody to emulate your vision of what you think God is instead of looking to the scriptures and finding out who God is. Jesus was a radical teacher. Jesus was a put it all in. You take nothing out of this world with you. The only thing you're going to get is what is in heaven. Give it your all. Everything is a resource. Leverage it. Use it. We got to quit making God fit our end desire and start changing our lives to meet his expectations for living. God needs to shape us in his image in every way. I gave you a couple of references, and for the sake of time, I'm going to go really fast here. The First Timothy passage is very clear. If we have food and raiment, let us therefore be content. I was spending some time this week with Brother David Stidham. We had to make our usual trip to Home Depot, our home away from home. And right behind Home Depot in Smyrna, they have built one of these big climate control, you store it places. And I said, did you ever think there would be a you store it on every corner? Like people's houses and apartments are not already full of stuff that now they're renting places to put their extra stuff. And I told him about a, a precious lady that had gone to church here for years how she rented a storage place for $110 a month until she decided what she wanted to do with her stuff. And five and a half years later, she realized she was never going to use that stuff. And so she had a yard sale. She'd paid $110 a month for five and a half years. She put everything in the yard sale and she made about $127. Now you do the math. $110 a month times five and a half years versus Everything in their soul for about $127. You're laughing, but the Bible says there was a man who went out and built barns and bigger barns, but the Lord came. It didn't matter what was in the barns, if the barns were even finished or not. How many of us are spending time and resources and things at the end of the day are really not going to matter? Who in here just dreams of getting 30 years in with a company? Oh, I'll get 30 years in, and you get a gold watch. Is anybody besides your kids really going to care about that? Who's ever worked hard for an award or a trophy that's collecting dust today? And we pour great amounts of time and energies and things. At the end of the day, really don't matter. Who thinks Jesus is a great event planner? Oh, he's got it all planned out. Any mappers in here? Any organizers? Anybody here? Admit. Come on, admit it. You like to have your week planned before the week starts, or you just take it as it comes. You just roll out of bed and let it flop. Okay. The Bible says there was a man that came to Jesus and said, "I want to be your disciple." <laughs> Jesus said, "You better think again." He says, "Why?" Jesus says, because foxes have holes and birds have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. If you are looking for guarantees and security in everything that happens in the kingdom of God, you are deceived. Well, pastor, before we do that, I need your five-year plan and your exit strategy and all your contingencies. Foxes have holes, birds have nests. But sometimes all you have is knowing what you feel God is telling you to do. Whether you have an exit strategy or a five-year plan, all you know is what God has spoken to you. And to see things materialize, it takes faith. If you have it all figured out, where is the faith? But when you step out and it's not all clearly revealed, but you obey anyway, then boom. By faith, God begins to materialize and make things available. If you're waiting to obey God when it's all going to be perfect, like God, I, I I want to be the I want to be the cause of a great revival. I have between 1230 and 230, the 27th of the month, available. Can you work me in? I, I don't think God works that way. I think God's looking for people and say, no matter what I had planned, God, what would you want to do in me? I don't have to have everything spelled out. I don't have to have a clear plan. I just have to know you've called me to do this. In that same passage in Luke chapter 9, another man came I want to be your disciple. Jesus said, come and follow me. He bids him, come on. He says, well, let me go bury my father first. Jesus says, Follow me and let the dead bury the dead. That seems kind of cold, doesn't it? Who thinks that sounds kind of cold? Let the dead bury the dead. You know what Jesus is really saying? He's like, There is nothing you can do for them, but there are people that are still living that are lost, that your influence in the kingdom. I'm going to stop and say this. I watch too many people through the loss of a friend or a loved one. And it stunts their following Jesus. It stifles their spiritual growth. And they can't get over that failure or that problem or that person who let them down. And it cripples them from continuing to follow Jesus. At some point, you gotta let dead things be dead. And you gotta pick up the pieces and you gotta follow Jesus while it is day, while you can make a difference with what you have left. The dead are in God's hands. But the living are still under the power and the influence of our testimony. Amen? A third man, Jesus says, come on, follow me. Jesus is in a groupy mood. Come on, follow me. And he says, well, let me tell my family goodbye. You know what Jesus tells him? It's like, man, at some point, this has got to be greater than family time. If you think, you're going to make a tremendous difference for the kingdom of God keeping God blocked off our segments twice, three times a week. Probably not going to happen. If if you put family first, God second, and others third, it's probably not going to happen. But if you seek ye first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, boom! It is amazing. It is amazing. It is amazing what can happen. Let me say this. Jesus was not an uber event planner. Sometimes he was just walking from here to the next city and encountered people. doesn't say, hey, I'm going over here because we got this great crusade schedule. I'm going over there, and I know there's some needs, and when I get there, when the needs manifest themselves, I'm going to do whatever I can to make a difference for those who have a need. Brother Brian preached a wonderful message Sunday night talking about the man that was at the pool. Thirty-eight years. Think about that. And Jesus could have passed him by, but Jesus took compassion on him. Nowhere in Scripture does he say, I'm going by the pool there because the guy's been there 38 years. I've got to fix his problem. No. He just sees the need. Obviously, he saw the frustration on the man's face when somebody else got in the water. Obviously, Jesus known he'd been a long time in that case. He says, here's a need. I can meet it. You, all you have to do is open your eyes and see there are needs all around you. Can you meet them? You don't have to have a two-year plan, five-year plan, ten-year plan. you just got to be willing to meet needs. Lastly, who thinks Jesus was a life strategist? He actually said, I've come to give you life and give it to you more abundantly. That means if you've got obnoxious family, he's going to give you more obnoxious family. It is quiet in here. Y'all are sleepy. He says in Matthew 6, that's a great passage. I'm not going to go through the whole thing, but I'll just tell you. Matthew 6, 24 through 34. He says, take no thought of tomorrow, for tomorrow will take care of itself. I'm going to ask for a show of hands. I doubt if anybody's going to raise their hand. Any overthinkers in here? You have a hard time making a decision. You go at it nine different ways. You spend 17 weeks debating, and you can argue it from nine different positions. You write 11 opinion papers on it, and then you talk yourself out of it. I'm not beating you up. I know a lot of people this way. I've actually received a lot of criticism because I don't do enough of that. Some of that criticism is probably warranted or merited, but the revelation I've had is overthinking cripples you, uh, can you overanalyze a decision and harm yourself? You ever seen a nervous driver, somebody who can't make a decision, they'll get them and everybody else killed? Sometimes a bad decision decisively is better than, I think I will turn and slowly I turn. You ever seen that? You ever seen that? If that had just gotten on out of the way, it would have been okay even though it was a bad turn, but okay. The ultimate two things I want you to get is, can anybody think well enough to guarantee an outcome? I've worked on some, I'm, I'm talking, I worked on a commercial project that had a committee of engineers and architects work for a decade and they had gone over everybody's work, they traded work, they discussed it, they walked through it, and you know what we got through going through that project? And we continually found things that, oh, we didn't think of that, oh, we didn't see that, oh, we didn't know that, we didn't understand that. I don't care how well you plan, there's still going to be things you encounter that you can't think them out in advance. Sometimes life is just a toss of the coin. I know that hurts your feelings. The truth is, can any man think themselves to be wise? What does the Bible say? He who thinks he's wise is what? Really a fool. Like you have the power to make a decision that's always going to be right. What Jesus is saying, we can overthink and overplan and overprepare for tomorrow and miss the today. We can miss what God's wanting to do in our lives today because we're crippled by results that we can't dictate or guarantee. Let me stop and insert something there. Um, I do not say this. You, who, This is a new term to me. I've just learned it recently. Who's ever heard of humble bragging? Humble bragging. So humble bragging is when you're trying to cast a vision, tell a story about how humble you are, and it's a backhanded way of bragging on yourself. I am not humble bragging. It's just an example that came to my mind. And that is I received a little critique that as your pastor, I have not taken a raise in 10 years, almost 11 years. have not taken a raise. That's not good. And after a couple times I heard that's not good, I finally says, Why why is that not good? Well, that's just, you know, not right. I'm not complaining. I'm not done in the church. I'm not writing letters to the bank. I'm not filing lawsuits, right? Well, but you know, you need you I said, Well, you know, if if I agree and the church agrees and the church does its part there's no problem. Now, why, why are you telling me that? Guys, if I took every dollar that came in here as ties, we would have never been able to bought the shopping center. We wouldn't have the children's ministry. We wouldn't have a provided nursery. We wouldn't have a church family. We wouldn't have fill in the blank. How many vacations do I need? How big a house do I need? I'm saying that for a reason. I'm investing in eternal things. It's not about the here and now. It's about the hereafter. I'm advocating that same thinking for you. It's not about the here and now. What are you investing in that's not putting away for your future, your retirement, your pleasure? What are you pouring into? What are you pouring into that's eternal? Who's ever heard of a guy named Warren Buffett? There's a lot of consternation the last couple of days The stock markets taking kind of some volatile swings. The more you talk about the market, the worse it does. So I don't talk a lot about the market, okay? Somebody says, well, you took a bath in the market back in 2009, Warren Buffett, and his investments lost a billion dollars of value in one week. How are you handling that? He said, what? The loss, what loss? He said, well, you had a billion dollar loss. He said, it's only a loss if I cash out at a loss. But if I leave it in there until the final day, it'll show value. Can I say this? Too many people, when Jesus comes speaking hard sayings and radical doctrine that went against their grain, that's too hard. And they walked away from the Lord, and they cashed out, and they missed out. Did you hear that? But if you'll really look at the Scriptures and evaluate what Jesus is speaking to you, how not to shape in God in your image and your desires, but how God wants to shape in you in His image and His desires, I'm crazy enough to believe if you will go to the scriptures with an honest heart and an open mind. God, you don't need me. God can speak to you and challenge you in ways and resources that I don't even know you have. I'm just starting the conversation. What do you have to offer that God wants to use to make a difference Not for me personally, not even necessarily for this church personally, but for the kingdom of God, for souls to be saved. Don't cash out because if you do at your funeral, that'll be the total summation of your life. But if you continue to invest, lay up not for yourselves things in earth, but lay up things in heaven. There is an eternal reward. Who wants to live in a mobile home? Who wants to live in a cardboard box in heaven? Who wants to just make it to heaven? But the word there tells us there's going to be a reward based on what we send up. Our actions here has an impact there. Now, last thing, Galatians 2 and 20. I'm closing my Bible. That means a whole lot because my voice is almost gone. Thank you all for praying for me. My voice is recovered. Amen. Then it's not a big deal until it's your voice. Galatians 2 and 20 says for, that we should be crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, we live. Who lives? We are crucified with Christ. Anybody know what's that little window over there? Anybody know? I heard one of our little kids a year or two ago say, ooh, pastor's got a big old aquarium over. What is that over there? Baptistry. What's in it? Do you know that? Have you looked over today? It's got water. Always got water in it. Okay. Always warm water, except maybe once, maybe twice. Okay. We have water in there. Now that is a ceremonial. I mean that's a symbol of what? It's not taking a bath. What is it? I know, but what is that? I can't hear you. Burial, excellent. This word here says that we are crucified. That means we are, our life is taken in a watery grave. We are ceremonially baptized. He was literally buried. We are symbolically buried. And we come up, we're a new creature. Everybody say amen. Do you not understand the imagery here? When you are baptized, you are dying to yourself. So if you then leave the baptistry and begin to take the wood and the stone and shaping God into the image you want him to be, have you really died out to self? Who thinks that's a fair question? Who's ever caught yourself answering for God? I don't think God would have a problem with this. Okay, let me do a substitute. I don't think Julie will mind. I have found out when I have to start talking myself through things like that, I'm making a bad decision. When we have to qualify or quantify what we're doing, we're probably having to talk ourselves into something because we have reservations, probably because there's an unction of the Spirit prompting us to really think long and hard about it. Anybody says to be honest about that? Who's ever talked yourself into something and often regretted it? Okay, I'm asking you tonight to be content. Who's ever acted on impulse? I, said, I made the best decision I ever met on impulse. I met this woman at Kroger, and I liked her as well. We went and got married. How'd that work out? I took my wife out to dinner, and we stopped by the car lot, and I bought a new thirty-seven-thousand-dollar car. Best decision ever made. Walked through the department store and had a credit card with a zero balance, and I just had to have that, and bought it. Sixty-nine percent interest compounded weekly. The Bank of Yugoslavia. It's wonderful. Who? Anybody? Anybody? Whether I'm done, y'all quit. Let's go. Jesus, thank you for your people. God, help us tonight not to just put you in a box. and God, let us have preconceived notions, but God, let us open our Bibles and open our hearts. And God, let us not come at it with an argument and making our case, but come and saying, God, I'm just a clab of clay and I'm putty in your hands. And God, begin to mold and shape my thinking. God, use your word to begin to shape in my imagination. God, help me have revelation. God, let me not just put myself on a path and say this is the path I'm on and this is who I'm going to be. But, God, let me inquire of you, what would you have me be, Lord? God, that I don't have to be what I've been. I can be who you say I am by the power of the blood of Jesus. We pray in the name of Jesus. And everybody say amen. Amen. You're dismissed tonight. Go with God.